Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. Good afternoon and welcome to the second in a series of our After the Bell podcasts. In our last episode, we started to focus on the principles of instruction from Barack Rosenshine. And again, I'm joined by Helen Morgan and Andy Bridge, who are lead associates of Thirsty Scholars Partnership, who bring your podcast to you today. In our last episode, we actually focused in on the first step, which was daily review. And I'm going to hand over quickly to Helen Morgan, who's going to give you a one minute overview of what we covered last time and five key things about the key principles of instruction. Over to you, Helen. Hi, Georgie. Um, It's great for us to be here again. Um, Like I said, um, what we wanted to do was just give a quick summary of five things about Rose and Shane's principles of instruction that might be useful for people who are coming to these for the first time. So the first thing I think to, to share with everybody is they're not new. They're based on research, but they're used to inform classroom practice. So they really build that bridge between research and what happens in the classroom. I think the second thing to remember is they're not a checklist or a list of rules. They're simply some principles that can really help teachers to guide classroom practice. Um, It's often tempting as well to think about the principles without thinking about the curriculum. But ultimately, Rosenstein's principles are only as good as the curriculum that underpins them. Um, And last but not least, I think they've grown from an interest in cognitive science that's really emerging in schools at the moment. Um, And some of that research about cognitive science was based on what Rosenstein and his colleagues observed from what they called master teachers or expert teachers. So teachers who were seen to be making the most gains in their practice and the things that they were doing to enable those gains. So that's a quick summary um, of the the principles in action. Thank you so much, Helen. That's really good. And also, I would highly recommend um, if you have the chance or you want to find out more, go back and listen to our first podcast, which focuses in specifically on the first step, which is daily review. Andy, would you like to actually just touch on actually the total, um, the 10 principles of instruction um, and what they briefly are? Yeah, of course. So number one is daily review, and that's uh, what we discussed in in depth last time. Number two um, that we're going to look at today is presenting new material using small steps. And then the remaining um, eight different principles are number three, asking questions, four, providing models, five, guiding student practice, six, checking for student understanding, seven, obtaining a high success rate, eight, providing scaffolds for difficult tasks, nine, independent practice, and number 10 is weekly and monthly review. Now, they can be kind of grouped together in different ways. The way that Tom Sherrington groups them, 
Um, he puts them into four strands. One is sequencing concepts and modeling. One is about questioning. One is reviewing material and one is stages of practice. So I think today we're going to look at presenting new material using small steps, which fits into that first category about the sequencing um, and the modeling and how we share that information with students. Just to set the scene, Rosenshine does suggest that the most effective teachers recognise the need to deal with the limitations of working memory. And we touched on some strategies um, embedded in the first step he recommends, which is data review in our last episode. Um, and we need to focus in on actually breaking down concepts and procedures into smaller steps, which is step two, presenting new mater material. Um, Andy, how would you actually embed sort of using this strategy and recommend your teachers actually um, implement this on a daily basis? So for me, in terms of um, presenting new material in small steps, it, it requires some forethought because, uh, you know, I'm an English teacher, Helen's an English teacher, but whether you're math, science, whatever your subject, you're, you're a subject knowledge expert um, in that academic discipline. And things that come completely naturally to us and seem quite straightforward actually can be quite complex and quite demanding, challenging for novice learners. So it's really like investing a lot of time into working out as a novice learner, what are the small individual steps that students need to do to solve this problem and what order do they need to do them in? I don't know if you want to expand upon that, Helen. Yeah, I think, you know, you make some really good points there, but I think the key one for me is about you can't just present material in small steps randomly. It needs to be planned really carefully. And the level of planning that you need to do as a novice teacher is probably going to be um, greater than that that is required from a, a more experienced teacher, but but not always. Um, and I think for me, when we think about that idea of presenting that material in smaller steps, um, it's also about giving learners the opportunity to practice each step after you've broken it down. So not only do they understand the breakdown, they also have to think about how they're going to apply what they've learned and practice that because if they don't practice it, ultimately it won't become part of their practice. They'll lose that level of automaticity and they'll lose that fluency as well. And that's what we really want them to develop, develop with their learning. Thanks. Thanks, Helen. Andy, would you have anything more that you, you would like to add on that before we actually look at um, how this can be useful? I think, um, you know, in terms of I said, we're kind of subject experts and maybe don't recognize the challenge of something I think so it's maybe helpful to think about like analogies so um maybe thinking about the first driving lesson that you ever had when you, you get into the um driver's seat for the first time and suddenly it's so overwhelming that there's a steering wheel and a gear stick and indicators and you've got to control the speed and your feet have got to do different things from your hands and you've got to be looking all around you and checking your mirrors like that's so many steps that if if the driving instructor just said on day one off we go, take us to the other side of town. You'd look at them like they were crazy, like it's just too much all at once. And like you really do need that breaking down into those kind of tiny individual steps where you just make progress with a little bit on day one and it builds your confidence and then you gradually add to that. So and then, you know, before you know it, you, if you're driving to work now, you're not even aware of what your feet are doing or that you're checking your mirrors or that you're changing gear. 
because it because you've got that fluency and that automaticity that you don't even need to think about it anymore. Um, I think the other place where I, I kind of always really notice it, and it's because I could never do it. Cause I, I mean, I struggle just walking in a straight line. But if you watch like Strictly Come Dancing, you know, like on the the, f- the first episode where the celebrities like their first ever dance lesson, and you can see like how totally overwhelmed they are and the concentration on the face to get their feet to move in a certain way and move to the rhythm and the music and be in sync with their partner, like that's massive. And then by the time they're like six, seven shows in, the the fluidity's there, the automaticity, like their journey from novices to experts, I think on that show, like is like just such a good visual representation, like the learning process that in our classrooms, a lot of it's like hidden and invisible and um, we don't get to see it quite as visibly as that. Absolutely. I think there's also another analogy about the foundations and actually how you're building up a house and um, sort of elements of scaffolding. I think we'll touch on that in our later sort of episodes and podcasts, because that's also another area and another principle with Rose and Shine. Um, But really great analogies. I'm not sure whether I ever got to grips with driving the car properly. My husband would disagree on my uh, well, wheel scratches. But anyway, Helen, do you have anything further around that area that you'd uh, like to share? I think, you know, for me, the, the Strictly Come Dancing analogy is a great one. Um, because what it does show is that when you do break things down into small steps, and then when you give that opportunity to practice, and you really put your back into that practice, and you get really great feedback, at each step then the progress that you see those dancers make is phenomenal because they go from novice don't they to almost you're struggling to distinguish who is the professional dancer and I think if we apply that same methodology to to teaching and learning if we break down learning into those small steps we give students the opportunity to practice those steps they get really great feedback at each step so that we intervene at the point of need and we give them a really good opportunity to then address any misconceptions or errors then the progress they will make is phenomenal but again you know it's tempting isn't it for people to think Rosenshine's principles of instruction are about the teacher instructing the learners instruction in this context for me is about teaching and it's a shared process that's between the learner and the teacher. So when you've got the teacher giving students really good feedback and then students doing what Andy said earlier, which is acting on that feedback, then, you know, ultimately, you know, to to coin the strictly phrase, that's where the magic really happens in terms of learning. And that's where you start to see students move from being able to take perhaps those small steps to over time taking those bigger steps as well yeah I think like you just said the once you've got those very very small steps like that was the really important bit that you said about the teacher feedback then can be so precise because you're identifying exactly which part they're struggling with which misconception they've got um you, you can see the whole thread then of where that student's gone wrong and how that's escalated and trace it back to that individual step is just so powerful rather than just letting a student go and running with something and and it just ties in so much to the to the other strands like you said about scaffolding 
and if we give students something that's very very challenging that's fine but they need the scaffolding to get that back within their um scope of ability um they need that extra support add-in and then you know we'll talk about it in more depth in in that episode i guess but then a really clear plan of how you remove that scaffolding um so it really ties into like building learner confidence believing like increasing their self-belief that they can do it gradually removing that scaffolding and then as helen said um repeated practice like just because they do these small steps once they probably still can't do the whole thing together but with the expert feedback at each step with the repeated practice with the scaffolding gradually removed over time you see that that learner suddenly not even realize that you've taken away the scaffolding and that they can they can do it on their own or not even realize that they're not thinking about each individual step kind of mechanically anymore they can just work through the process and those magic moments are the reasons that we all become teachers in the first place that that aha moment i think we all welcome when they actually suddenly realize that they've got the confidence and they can really do that and it equally on the opposite side, it's it's the knowledge gaps, those tiny sort of sections that don't quite get covered and, and can often be missed that can really, really escalate to be really um, switch students off as well. So that's why it's so important. I think that although, again, it's an, obvi um, an obvious sort of thing to point out, actually breaking down material and content very clearly i would yeah wholeheartedly support this step as one of the uh, the key elements for teachers so how long in sort of each sort of session or when you're introducing sort of a new concept andy would you say that teachers should actually spend on on breaking down the small steps should it be sort of a lot of time or or short short and sharp i, I would spend as as long as it needs to be responsive teaching, it needs to be adaptive. You need a real awareness of what your students are doing and circulating and looking in the books. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be particularly fussed about a time limit on it. If if you've gone through the small steps and students aren't understanding it, like spend more time on it, see if there's a different way that you can explain those steps. And um, in terms of like a really practical strategy, um, you know, and it, it ties in with modeling, but I just think a visualizer is so powerful um to using your classroom to break down these small steps and be able to model that process to students exactly what you would do either on a whiteboard or on a visualizer um i think is unbelievably powerful if you've got that resource available i think kind of i mean that's that's a really good strategy because i think it's really concrete for people like what does it mean when you break down things into small steps, what kinds of things the teachers do at each step. And I think, like Andy said, using the visualiser to show them exactly what to do and then give them an opportunity to practice that is a great example of what a small step might look like. I think when you watch, again, master teachers or expert teachers breaking things down into small steps, other things that they do are they give really great explanations. So explanations that are crisp, that are practiced, that are really precise, that they've given, you know, lots of times that really helps students to connect with what they're trying to explain and, you know, link to that within those explanations. They'll often use analogy really well. 
and they'll be able to say, well, it's like this or, you know, it's like this. And when you think about those expert teachers, for me, um, they're the teachers who can probably draw on four or five different explanations and analogies to explain one thing. So they work through lots of different examples with students to make sure that that learning and that knowledge is really secure before they go on to the next step. I think when you see novice teachers, they often struggle um, to come up with that range of explanations or range of examples. And, you know, as a result, they often can't reframe things for students who are really struggling. So I think paying real attention to your quality of explanation and use of analogy is a really important thing for, for students within this concept of breaking things down, yeah. you know, and, and building the long-term memory. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what you're saying there about thinking carefully about your explanations, like I, I would go as far as to say script them. You know, if you know that you're um, teaching a concept the student's gonna find quite challenging and they need a very clear explanation, like I'd absolutely encourage write a script for it and practice it and ask for feedback from, you know, from your mentor, from your peers, because, um, you need to you need to make sure that it's exactly like there's no no room for the misconceptions that your your explanation is completely um clear has got real clarity um it, yeah that's definitely something that i would encourage just linked to that as well you know i think that scripting is is really good because again that's what helps you to develop your automaticity as a, a teacher and your fluency with teaching things that are complex and ultimately making them simple for students. So often, you know, when you're teaching um, in English, math, science, you're dealing with what might be quite an abstract concept for a student. And that explanation or that analogy can really help to make it very concrete for them. So it can, again, you know, if we think about that shift from theory Theory often feels abstract. What Rosenshine's principles do is, is they make that abstract theory or that research concrete. And really that's what we're trying to do for, for students by breaking things down. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The other thing that's probably worth saying about explanations, if you're gonna to go to that trouble of scripting them and rehearsing them, um, one thing I've often seen that that's the kind of root cause of a misconception or a student tripping up with something is a misunderstanding of vocabulary so you know it's maybe something we can talk about in more depth in a in a different episode georgie but really thinking carefully about how you're introducing the the tier three the, the tier two the tier three vocabulary um and have all of the students got a really clear understanding of what that word means in that context you know in your subject specific domain because if they misunderstand that terminology the whole understanding of the concept is going to be off. Thank you for sharing that, Andy. It's a, a really good concept to consider. And also, I think for me, uh, the words that you're you're sharing with me and, and my takeaways are things around how important it is to connect, to link, to give security, reassurance. These are all words and verbs that you've shared with me recently. And, and actually, I think 
they they sort of underpin all of the concepts of presenting new material by taking the time and being patient and each learner's got their different sort of you know progress levels and and will take longer time and it's the best best teachers are the ones that actually take the time to work with them all individually at their own pace um so thank you very much for sharing those is there is there any kind of uh, having been a you know or being a deputy principal do you what what would presenting new materials can you give an example of what this would look like in a classroom or or you know have, have you got any kind of really excellent examples that you can share you know even once you've kind of thought about your explanation in your small steps see actually do i need to go more granular than that are my small steps small enough mm -hmm. or, or should they be split down further um you know taking it to that micro level might seem um you know as though you're patronizing some students or you're not providing a level, level of challenge that they're capable of and it's not that at all it's it's making sure the first time they encounter something they build their confidence with it because they're going to understand those tiny steps and then as you gradually build that up you then got an awareness within your class that when you're recapping this not everybody might need to go back through every one of those tiny steps individually you might have some students that pick that up much more quickly and can get on while you work with a smaller group so like having an awareness of yourself if you've got a teaching assistant or another adult that you can deploy in the classroom who are they best to work with who are you best to work with who's at a stage where they're able to get on with some independent practice while you perhaps go through those small steps again with the students that need it and also the concept of peer on peer support as well, isn't there? So, you know, could you look at buddying up the ones that are really grasping, grasping the concepts more quickly than the others and, and, and how they can be taken on the dance on the, on the journey as well? Helen, have you got anything further you'd like to add? Yeah, I think just, just listening to you both there, I think it's really interesting when you start to talk about the individual steps, because one of the things that really comes through rules and shades principles is if we really secure the small steps then over time students will be able to take bigger steps um, but I think you know for me helping students to become knowledgeable and confident with each of those steps is is really important because that's what leads to that level of fluency and I think at the start it's important to not miss steps out. And, you know, I'm always reminded, um, I have the concentration span often of a goldfish. Um, and, you know, when I think about watching a film, um, if I miss the first 10 minutes of the film, then I've got no idea what the rest of the film is about. And I think when we think about presenting information in small steps with students, if we miss a key step out or we don't secure that step, it has the same impact of missing that first 10 minutes of a film because none of the rest of it makes sense. So what we're trying to do when we break things down into those smaller steps is help students often to make sense of something that is much bigger. And what the small steps do is they make that that process if you go back to the idea of you know the working memory has limitations um breaking things down into small steps help them to deal with that limitation because it makes the learning um more manageable it kind of helps them to make steady progress and 
once they've got the steady progress in mind, then they can perhaps start to make those bigger steps. But I think, again, going back to the idea of making the steps and thinking about daily review, lots of this is about helping students to make connections. And again, if they can make connections between the steps and between the steps they're taking in that context, but steps they've taken in another context, then we start to build up that bigger picture roadmap of learning for them. So, you know, there's there's a real need for students to understand why each step at the start is really important. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Helen. And, you know, you've kind of um, gone back to there, the idea that this cognitive science underpins all the Rosenstein's principles and um, the idea of cognitive load and cognitive overload and avoiding that. Um, but I think you can link it, um, the presented in small steps to metacognition as well. And um, when you're presenting those small steps to the students, narrating your thinking, narrating your process, um, you know, so students are seeing, um, you know, if you write in an extended paragraph in English, that writing as a process rather than just the, the finished product um, and going through the, the editing process and the actually, I've, you know, I've used that word, let's, let's scrap that, let's replace it with a better one seeing you work through those small steps um, helps build their metacognition in terms of the next time they encounter a problem. If they can say to themselves, where have I encountered this kind of situation before? How did I respond? What steps did I take? You're, you're really developing their ability to like work independently, tackle unfamiliar situations. Um, so I'd be quite a big advocate of not just using Rosenstein's principles but explaining some of them to the students so that they understand why you're doing daily review or you un they understand why you're presenting the material in such small steps before you move on even though at times they might think that a little bit babyish or a little bit simplistic if the students get that awareness of how they learn and how they move information to the long-term memory I think it's really powerful really really interesting concept about actually sharing your 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 frameworks with the school with the the learners there andy i think that's uh, actually a great idea to actually take them on board with the journey so that they almost can see the value of what you're doing for them and helping them understand um, and clearly the implication is that teachers are going to have to unpack their materials a lot further than perhaps they would have considered before um, and and this needs to be broken down into much smaller steps are there any kind of key resources that we recommend people use Helen or Andy is there any kind of strategies that you've um, observed Helen yeah well I think a really simple one when you think about breaking things down into to small steps is about getting people to think about PowerPoint. So lots of teachers nowadays use PowerPoint as a key teaching resource. Um, and sometimes when you go into lessons, what you see is a, a huge overload of material on a slide. And I think really thinking about how you might break down and reduce the information on those slides helps you to think about the steps, because I think sometimes you know, with the best will in the world, you might have six steps on one slide. And I think just slowing that process down and really, like you said, 
deconstructing and unpacking the steps is 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 really valuable and you know there's you, you go back don't you I, I saw um, a, a poster a couple of days ago um, and it was linked to the Beatles song you know all you need is love and it was all you need is less and I think there's a real message in that for teachers about thinking about presenting new information in small steps less is often more and the slow build results in the sustainable learning and the longer term stickiness of of knowledge that's really useful i think um my top tip i guess would be if you're going to think about this process if you're um a classroom teacher who's got 20 21 22 hours of teaching a week that is a lot of time you need to put into thinking about your explanations and your planning and how you're going to um, break down those concepts. So wherever possible, I'd recommend using department meeting time, not for admin and updates, but using that to sit as a team and say, what are we teaching over the next fortnight? Which aspects are students going to find really challenging? And how can we teach it in the most effective way? Like, can we work in pairs now? Can we work as a group to know that, you know, if we know that year eight are going to find this concept really challenging next week let's work on our explanations together let's decide collectively the best way that we can explain this to the students um, and dividing that workload up between you and working with your colleagues i think it's be a really good use of time i think uh, well i'm sorry i think another one just kind of linked to that idea of all you need is less is the power of starting small so i think you know, often, again, if I, you know, I took my own subject example, um, if you present students with um, a full poem at the start of the lesson and it's something like the prelude, immediately they'll start to go, I can't do it, I can't do it, I don't understand it. And they haven't even started to think about how they're going to tackle that. Whereas if you just start with a word or a phrase, or an idea or something linked to the context or an image. I think really paying attention to that first step or those first two or three steps is important and making sure that you keep those first two or three steps small. And, you know, within those first few steps, show students some success, really build their confidence. That can really help with the steps as you, you move through. Thank you, Helen. Thank you, Andy. I think uh, there's uh, lots of analogies there that we can take away. Are um, on sort of thinking about it on on the flip side, because I imagine there's lots of people listening to this at the moment that are going, this seems too simplistic. Are there any challenges that they perhaps need to be aware of when they actually look at presenting the the uh, their new material? Short uh, small steps. Obviously, there's the time issue that we we kind of touched on Andy but is there anything else that perhaps we we need to think about overcoming I, I think um you know we touched on before just having an awareness of that within your group you're going to probably have students with quite different abilities and quite um different confidence levels um and thinking carefully about how you're going to include all of those students how you can stretch the ones that are really confident with something at the same time as building um, the confidence of the students who need a little bit more support with something and that's not easy to do especially if you haven't got another adult in the room and you're on your own and you've got quite a big group 
that's um, that can be quite challenging thinking about how to keep how to make sure that your lesson is productive for everybody in the room while you're going through these really small precise steps um, but equally making sure that your confident and able learners still see the value in why you're breaking it down into those small steps and that actually they're getting something out of that as well um, instead of just rushing ahead because they think they can do it all because for those learners I think if they understand the tiny steps then they can you know if you teach in maths or science maybe they can then be creative and explore other models of finding the solution if they understand the steps that you've been through using the method that you've used you can then have a better understanding of, of other methods I think. Absolutely I think sort of sharing the the strategy that you're using in the classroom I think we come back to that particularly with sort of secondary you know, students actually understanding why you're going through that process and breaking down the knowledge that they've got to learn so that they can see themselves building and building their confidence. Um, but as a teacher, almost thinking out loud about, um, you know, why you're going through this process with them and and, and almost modelling the steps first before they um, they start to sort of try it themselves. I think that will get only gain confidence and, and uh, build on experience. Just before we move on to sort of, you know, to close today's podcast, is there kind of one key takeaway that you would um, sort of recommend for the listeners today, Andy? Um, I, I think it would just be to keep in your head those analogies that we talked about, like the learning to dance, the learning to drive, um, and not forget what it feels like to be a novice at something um, and, you know, to perhaps feel overwhelmed by something to kind of keep that in your mind just because you're the subject expert the students are novices in your subject and they're going to need that level of scaffolding and support thank you andy and helen what would you like to share with us i think main would be one that we just talked about earlier which is start small you know start small um, and build big because if we start small then we can help students to make that longer term progress towards those bigger goals Thank you. And and I think that um, for me, I've really enjoyed these discussions because they've actually really um, brought some positive images around sort of the teaching experience, which we perhaps always don't necessarily think about. So actually leading the, the learners on, a you know, through a dance or um, sort of, you know, forming a, a, a learning how to do a new sort of rugby strategy or, you know, that's some kind of concept. Um, they're all great powerful images and if you can perhaps as you said use those analogies with with the students then I think that's always going to be a great win um, but we've covered lots of really powerful things today about the importance of connection and linking um, and building and scaffolding and I know that we're going to be covering those again in a, a later podcast but thank you both today again for your time I know you're both very busy people start of term for Andy as well I hope it's gone well um, and as mentioned, this is a series focusing on the 10 sets of Rosenshine's principles of instruction. And next week, we'll actually be looking at step three, um, which is around asking questions, which again seems quite simplistic, but there are so many different important strategies around that, which we're going to be unpacking. Um, you can pick up our After the Bell podcast. We already have episode one. If you'd like to actually go back and reflect on that, then please feel free. They're released on a weekly basis and are here to provide quick tips and discussions with our experts 
around all things educational, which hopefully you can use on your commute home now that you can now commute, or jogging on the treadmill if you're feeling fit, or cooking up that nice spicy dinner. So uh, we're going to be covering all sorts of other topics as well, such as metacognition, they're now laughing at me, and uh, all from uh, your maths manipulatives. Um, and they're aimed for whether you're new to teaching or aspirational or middle leaders. Um, in fact, we're looking at anybody in education. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been After the Bell. Good night. Thank you.